I'm excited to talk a little bit more about heaven, right? So a couple weeks ago, we were talking about fear of missing out, and we kind of wound up that series talking about the legitimate FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. We don't want to miss out on eternal life. And we talked about the alternative to that, being separated from God. We talked about hell. Last week, we talked a little bit about heaven. So uh, there's been quite a bit of interest in that because a lot of what we think about heaven, a lot of what we say about heaven uh, is more mythical than scriptural. The Bible doesn't give us a ton about it because I think if he told us too much, we wouldn't be able to concentrate, right? We'd just be thinking about that all the time. But like we said last week, this is our motivation because knowing what God has for us and knowing enough about it, it motivates us here to go through the tough times and it enhances the joy of the good times. We know that there's so much more to come. It helps our perspective. You've got to have this perspective, realizing the crazy things that are going on in the world today and the tough times that you go through. We talked about how, like the athlete, well, many times because of the goal that they have of achieving whatever they want to achieve, it, it motivates them to endure the toughness of the present time of whatever they're going through. And likewise for us, there may be some tougher times ahead. There may be blessings ahead, but all of it we're going to have a different perspective of because we see a bigger picture, right? And we need to pause for just a moment and be praying for our world that we live in. Um, we're praying still for Mike and Sue Ward. Mike is home. Hallelujah. Doing better. Keep praying for Mike. Uh, praying for Haley. Um, and um, we have some good friends uh, who are in Israel right now uh, on a tour, and they're trying to uh, work a way to, to get them, their whole group, out. Uh, but we want to be praying, and here's the thing we want to pray, is we want to pray that there's people everywhere need to know that Jesus is the only hope. He's the only hope for peace. He's the only hope for fulfillment. He's the only hope for satisfaction. It doesn't matter whether you're a heathen. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Muslim, or whether you even call yourself a Christian. Jesus is the only hope, the good news of the gospel. This is what the world needs, and events are going to take place, and God, and we, we're probably closer to the end than, than what we uh, can imagine right here, and there are things that are going to happen, but we've been studying. And if you're here on Wednesday night in our class on Romans 8:28, God is in control uh, of all things still. He is in control. Uh, he's the one he told, he reminded Nebuchadnezzar, I'm the one that raises up kingdoms. I put kings in power. I do. God is in control, folks. So no doubt about that. Let's stop and pray for just a moment. <clears throat> Father, I just want to thank you for this special day. Lord, I just want to thank you most of all for your love and your salvation. I want to thank you for the hope that we have. And Lord, I want to pray for forgiveness, Lord. Because you died on the cross, Lord Jesus, you paid for our sins. We can repent and know, Lord, as we ask forgiveness, that you pay it in full. And I thank you for that. But Lord, as a whole people, we have failed in so many ways to let your love flow through us. We have failed in so many ways to let the light of the hope of the gospel, the truth of your holiness and your love and your grace to shine forth into those around us, Lord. And I pray that in these last days, you would help us to, to be diligent about that and to be motivated uh, about that, Lord. I pray for this lost world. I pray, Lord, that there will still be those who are in darkness that will see your great light, Lord. We pray for the safety of those in Israel, in the Middle East, and those who are trying to get where they need to be. 
and just the people who live there. But Lord, through all of this chaos that the enemy and all of the, he's the father of lies. He's a, he's a murderer from the beginning. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Uh, he wants to deceive. Um, with all the chaos and all the hurt and all the pain and all the anger and all the hate, that the true hate that's out there, Lord, I pray that in the midst of it that your light and your love will overflow. And that even during times of turmoil, there'll be many that will come to your light. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, last week, if you remember, oops. So no wonder these don't last very long. <laughs> last week, we were talking about how, I gave an illustration, remember, from Mark Twain, who was anything but a theologian, right? Mark Twain didn't, wasn't really a believer. But, and so he's speaking from that perspective. He writes, you know, in Huckleberry Finn. Uh, and there's some of the young people that never heard of Huckleberry Finn, right? Um, and Tom Sawyer. Can you believe that? So maybe they checked it out this week. But in one of those stories, Miss Watson was telling Huck Finn about, you know, he was not being a good boy, right? And, uh, you know, if he wants to go to the good place and about, you know, what it was like. And it was kind of that, that mystical, you know, floating around on a cloud, playing a harp in some forever church service. And, 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 and in the story, Huck says, you know, that doesn't sound like any place he'd ever want to go right? And then he asked her, you reckon Tom Sawyer will be there? She said, not by a good sight. He goes, well, that settles it for me, right? And so the thing about it is poor old Huck Finn had a wrong idea of what heaven's going to be like. And, and I, I, I mentioned, what if he had been told about a place where he could do meaningful and pleasurable things with enjoyable people? That that would actually be a more a biblically accurate picture of what heaven will be like. If she had told him about what the Bible says about living in a resurrected, perfect physical body and being with people we love on a resurrected earth with gardens and rivers and mountains and untold adventures in the very presence of our Lord with him. Now that would have gotten his attention. It gets my attention. And so last week, we kind of started off making a note that, um, that uh, boy, I hope I didn't break this. No, nope, there it goes. That heaven is hard to define because we just kind of, that's a broad term we apply to a lot. So what I want to do is get some scripture today, and I want to go as quickly as I can. So you got to hang in here, right? This should not be boring. Uh, I have notes online. If you are on our Facebook page, there's a link. Uh, our church family page there is. If you've got the Version app, just go to your menu events and you can find us, Hartville, on there. And that might help you. I hope I got them in the right order. But you've at least got something that you just don't come in here and go through all this and just go out with your eyes crossed, wobbling, thinking, wow, that was a lot, and forget about it. You can meditate on it later. The Word of God is alive and powerful. It's not like we're reading Shakespeare or Plato or something like that. This is a living Word of God, the breath of God. And I want to take it and let God speak to me after we leave here. So we kind of look at it this way. Heaven is that place where God dwells. Although His presence fills the universe. It's the perfect paradise where we shall live with Him forever. I should put that in there in absolute joy. And that's just kind of a broad way to describe it. But what if I also told you that included in God's plan is heaven on earth? What, what if I began to talk about if redemption and redemption, and we're going to read a scripture about redemption in a moment, about God redeeming us. That's what Christ did on the cross. Redemption is all about paying a ransom. It's all about buying back, that he paid the price to buy us back out of sin. But what if, what if, what if that redemption also 
uh, involves uh, bringing all things together in Christ, both in heaven and on earth. What if that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray about His will be done on earth as it is, what, as it is in heaven, what if that actually happens? What if that comes true, uh, that that happens? So, so that's what I want to look at. And as we kind of get this started today, uh, I want to recall something else Jesus taught us. When he was teaching us the Beatitudes in that awesome Sermon on the Mount, uh, he was talking about the attributes of those who follow him. And one of them was in chapter Matthew 5, 5, where he said this, blessed, happy, blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. What are you talking about, Jesus? He, he, this comes up time to time in Scripture about His people inheriting the earth. Well, I thought this earth's going to be destroyed and, that, and it's done. Well, it is going to be destroyed. God is going to judge and all of that. That's true. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I'm just telling you, that's not the end of God's plans that He gives us in Scripture about uh, good old planet earth. Now, what I want to do is I want to read in Ephesians 1. I hope you saw that up there. Maybe uh, No, it's right here. Uh, I haven't put it up there yet. That's why. Uh, and I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. And that's what I want to read, a little passage here about redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, verse 7. Paul's talking about that. And he says, in him, that's in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood. That is through his blood. That is, Jesus, he shed his blood in the Bible all the way back to the beginning the blood represents life. Life's in the blood. Jesus gave his life. He died. He paid the wages of sin. Every time they made those animal sacrifices, there was blood. And it was a graphic picture of death. As the blood drained out of the body, death occurred. It was a graphic picture. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus was the real ultimate Lamb of God. The, the lamb that God gave. And so when he died on the cross, what did he do? He gave his life. He died a death to pay for all of our sins. He took all of our sins on him and he paid the price for it on the cross to redeem us. That's what this is talking about. He goes on to say that it's not only through his blood, it's the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. All right, according to. Did you catch that? It's according to the riches of his grace. Now, uh, I might could ask the richest person in the world to give me $100 out of his riches. He could give that to me out of his riches. But according to his riches, he could probably give me millions, right? Now, if I ask Wayne for $100, he'd probably be like, out of luck, buddy. I'm picking on you again. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I, I said, but according to his riches, he said, you're still out of luck, right? Right. So here's what I'm going to say, is it's according to his riches. And you think about the riches of all of God, it's according to that. That's the comparison. It's not just out of his riches, it's according to. It's endless, folks. His grace, his mercy, it's according to uh, his grace, he tells us, um, through his blood, forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. And this is his purpose. His gospel is what he's talking about here. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. 
as a plan for the fullness of time. Here's God's plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in Him. In who? In Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Did you see that? In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Talking about we. If you belong to Christ, this is talking to you. And having been predestined according to the purpose, it's all about His purpose, the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. This whole thing revolves around that theme of redemption, doesn't it? And so, as I said, it means to buy back. It indicates a restoration. It indicates a return. God's redemptive plan, according to this, includes you. You're not too far gone. You're not too lost for Him to redeem you, restore you, renew you, remake you. But according to this, it involves all things in heaven and earth. That, that, that uh, God's redemptive plan not only involves our souls, but it also includes this whole universe, including the earth. Um, we'll come back to this, Lord willing, in a couple weeks. But uh, Paul refers to this in one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. It says in chapter 8, verse 21, he's talking about this whole thing. And he says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. Its bondage. There was a curse that came because of sin. Creation, Paul tells us, was innocent in this, but creation was cursed. All right? If you're reading an old translation, it may say creature. And then later on, it refers to creation. It's the same Greek word. He's referring to the whole creation. Okay? The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He's talking about something happening right here in creation. We'll come back to that another time. But Paul talks about it. So what we're talking about is our new home. When we talk about heaven, we realize that from the Bible, heaven is not in its final state. It's not in its final state because partly you're not there. The Bible talks about a future resurrection. It talks about Christ ruling and reigning on the earth. It talks about the eternal state. And so we, we've already seen Paul be clear about 2 Corinthians 5 and other places about, in verse 8 he said there, he said, um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We looked at that, that story Jesus told in Luke chapter 16 about two people who died, the rich man and then the beggar, right? And immediately they were in a state of eternity. And we know that. And we don't know kind of exactly what all that's going to be like. Uh, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about that if our house, the, the, the tent that we live in here in this world were dissolved, we have a building not made with hands, made by God. He's talking about a tent. He's talking about a house we live in. He's not talking about a man mansion over the hilltop, he's talking about an actual body. So I don't know if we have a temporary body or whether we or what it's like before we have the resurrection body at the resurrection. But it's going to be awesome. I know that. Uh, but in the meantime, all of this is taking place. It's all unfolding right now. We have loved ones that are with the Lord. In Philippians, uh, excuse me, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it talks about when Christ comes back. And it talks about the resurrection. It talks about those who have gone before us, they will rise first, right? But it also says before that, that those who sleep or that are die, have died in Christ will come with Him. And I always have people ask me, which is it? Are they coming with Him or are they rising first? And the answer is yes. 
They are with him. They are coming with him. At that moment, they receive a resurrected body that's like Jesus' resurrected body. That's the only point of reference we have, and it's, it's amazing. And if you could get your whole head around it, then, then you're, you're, you're almost as great as God, I guess. But uh, we're human, and this blows our mind. But right here, right now, there's just something in us. We talked about it last week. There's just something in us. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I gave you some testimony that I feel it sometimes. Like if I'm on the, out in the woods and the world's waking up and you just see the beauty. If you're out on the river and you see the beautiful scenery up in the mountains when we're up there. And, um, you know, there's been nothing more exciting than going on ski trips with both Gillian and Mallory. It's kind of like double trouble, but, but we had some great experiences. You know, that first trip up the ski lift, and some of you can say amen to this if you want to. I just, I just feel the majesty of God and of his creative power. Even though this earth has been cursed, it's still pretty awesome, isn't it? But there's something in us. I just get a, I get a homesick feeling. I get a feeling, and I, I begin to wonder about that. I'm going to maybe what it is is maybe, maybe we're homesick for that perfection. You know, God placed Adam in even a perfect place in a garden he called Eden. And maybe I'm homesick for a place I've never been, but it's somehow built into me by God. And, and we're longing for that perfect place with him there with us. I don't know. I just feel that tug. Have you ever felt that? It's a powerful thing. And the thing we've studied as we've, as, we've, as we've gone through this, we realize that a lot of religions picture afterlife as a very vague or intangible thing. But the Bible describes heaven, as we'll call it, broad term, but let's just go with that, heaven. It, it, it describes it as a real place, not some misty, and you're just in some kind of a spirit imagination type existence. It's a real place. Remember, yeah, Abraham was looking for that city with foundations. He's tired of living in tents. He wanted to have something solid, something real, okay? Uh, it's a city. Okay, let's just look at that verse again. We looked at it last week. Here it is. Hebrews 11.10, he waited, talking about Abraham, for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He wasn't talking about the spot of land that God was taking him to. He was talking about something beyond that. Because not only is it a city, it's a real place, it's a country. He tells us uh, next in that same passage. He says in, hold on, in verse 16, as it is, they desire, people like Abraham, the writers tell us, they desire a better country. So we're like strangers here and pilgrims, Right? Like exiles, we desire a better country. That is, in case you're not getting it, a heavenly one. A heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared for them, once again, a city. He's prepared for us a real place. And then at the end, you know, the Bible talks a lot about this world being judged by fire. Peter talks about the elements basically breaking down. It almost sounds like something on an atomic level, an element level. Everything dissolves and, uh, and is recreated. And we get the glimpse of that after the great white ju throne judgment in Revelation chapter uh, 21, that it is a new heavens and a new earth. So this earth is judged. This earth is destroyed, right? But is God done with it? According to the Bible, uh, we have something else. We have this. Revelation 21 Verse 1, I read this last week, but I want to read it again. And I don't want to just rush through it. I want you to soak this in. 
This is what John saw. I don't know that there's really words that he had that he could adequately describe what he saw, but he took his best shot at it, and this is what we have. Are you ready to look at it together? Revelation 21.1, he said, Then I saw, this is after the judgment, after all of that, then I saw a new heaven. And when he talks about heaven, he's not just talking about, you know, the space around where the birds fly. He's talking about pretty much the cosmos, the universe, the galaxies, and planets, and solar systems. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So it was different. And he saw something else. So there's a new heaven, new earth. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. It was like a glorious instance. So it's kind of like what we might would call, some have thought, maybe it's like what we might would call heaven now was coming down out of heaven to this new earth. And he gives dimensions for this city later on. It just kind of like blows your mind. Uh, we're not done. Next verse. He said, and I, I heard a loud voice from the throne. That's the throne of God saying, listen to this. Listen to this. And, and, and I, I don't know if you get this, but you got to get it. Here's what he hears. This is going to happen. I plan on being there when this happens. He heard a voice say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Uh, is that pretty awesome? But wait, there's more. Okay? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And guess what? Separates us and hurts us so bad, death. He says death's going to be dead. He said, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Got anybody in pain here today? No more pain. He said, the former things have passed away. They've died. It's just going to be perfection. So the problem is not that the Bible doesn't tell us much about heaven. The problem is we don't pay much attention to what little bit it does tell us about heaven. This ought to be motivation. This ought to be what helps me get through those days with those aches and pains and those tragedies and those confusing and chaotic whatever it is, right? This world's not my home. And I feel sorry for those who think it is, that this is all we have. I'm just passing through. Yet, I say the world's not my home, but evidently the earth or the new earth will be my home after it's destroyed and renewed. So there's a difference. Somebody said, well, what's going to be the difference there in this perfect paradise that God creates us? And I want to tell you, though, if the world and, and nature and all of that is this beautiful, even under the curse, what's it going to be like when it's free from that? What's that going to be like? Well, what's the difference then between Eden? Remember, God placed Adam and Eve in a perfect place. Called it the Garden of Eden. What's going to be the difference between that and, and this? Okay, I'm just going to throw a few things out. Are you ready? Let's roll. Here we go. Difference between before the fall, before the fall. When I talk about the fall, I'm talking about the fall of mankind when they fell into sin. Okay? Remember, God created us for a love relationship with Him. Love relationship requires choice. God couldn't just program us with instinct like animals just to love Him, or it wouldn't be a real love relationship. And so we had to have the ability to reject and to refuse Him, which we all have, not just Adam and Eve. All of us have. 
right? The angels also were created that way, and some of them rejected, and there's no salvation for them. They've fallen as well. Some of them have, not all of them. Um, but God created it this way because he wants this unique relationship with us. And so when Adam and Eve fell, they fell from the relationship with God. We call it the fall. If this is new to you, uh, we'll talk about it some more later on. But that's what I mean about the fall, the sin. When sin happened, what happened, what's the difference between before that in Eden and what we might call heaven? Well, as you can see here, there is some difference because before, well, how we know, how do we know, how do we know Adam and Eve were perfect and there was no sin in Eden, but they sinned. How do we know there, well, we might be able to sin. Well, the difference is before, before in Eden, Adam and Eve were created and they were innocent. They had the potential to sin. In heaven, sin has been dealt with and conquered in every one of our lives. And we won't be just innocent. We will be righteous. That's what we'll be. It's a way big notch above what Adam and Eve were in the garden. In Eden, sin was unknown. As I said, its potential was revealed. God even warned them about it. In heaven, sin is removed forever. Amen. Uh, in Eden, you notice that human beings were created from the earth, right? You've read that. Right now, when we die, our remains decay and return to the earth. In the forever state, the Bible talks about a resurrection, eh, graves bursting open and so forth and so on. We're resurrected from the earth, our body, our new body. You notice the connection with the earth? Before, now, after, there's a correlation there. And we'll live in the new earth forever after the resurrection. So in Eden, um, we have God in heaven visiting the earth, you know, visiting Adam and Eve. It walked in the cool of the day with them, right? Remember? After they'd sinned, they hid from him. Remember that? So that's what we had in Eden. In Eden, but in heaven, we have God living forever with us, not just visiting, but living with us on the new earth. That's, that's the picture we just read. That's... That's what it says. That seems too incredible to you. Then good. Be overwhelmed. I don't care. The tree of life. Remember the tree of life? Was in Eden where mankind could eat of it. After the fall, after sin, the way to it was guarded, was cut off. It was located in paradise where we were cut off from its presence. If you keep reading in Revelation 22, you'll find that the tree of life will be located in the new Jerusalem where we'll be able to partake of it forever. Revelation 22, verse 2. All right, we don't have time to look at all these, but in Eden, God's glory was evident to all and in all. It was. But in the present, God's glory is obscured by sin and the curse. It's only seen in glimpses. But in heaven, God's glory will be forever manifested in everything. And we will indeed inherit the earth. Uh, this isn't just some new end-of-time New Testament concept. Let's go, back, let's go back thousands of years to Isaiah. Let's go back before the time of Christ, okay? In Isaiah, it says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21, Also your people shall all be righteous. How's that going to happen? Because, pardon the grammar, we ain't nothing even close to righteous. How's that going to happen that all these people be made perfect and righteous? Only through Christ. We know that now, right? I read about it in Ephesians. The redeeming blood of Christ. 
according to the riches of His grace. That's how we're made righteous. Hallelujah. And it says, they shall inherit. So he's talking about future. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting. The work of my hands. Why? What's the whole purpose? That God may be glorified. That I'm, we're going to inherit the land. It's part of what will glorify God. Romans uh, chapter 4. Paul says this about Abraham. About that promise God made to Abraham. He says in Romans 4.13, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law. They were never going to get it by trying to be law keepers, but it was through the righteousness of faith. It all was pointing to what God was going to do through Christ in taking care of our sin. And Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 10, it, Paul says, And you, talking about those who have received Christ and his redemption, you have, talking about God has made them a kingdom and priest to our God. A kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall what? Reign on the earth, not just reign and live with God forever, way off in some misty heaven, but he says on the earth. That's what he said there. So this is God's renewal plan that he has, and that is the entire physical universe that we, that we don't even know all about was made for God's glory. And that's the story above all stories. It's the story of his glory. And his glory is for the nations to be shared. But ultimately, all of this is made for the glory of God himself. But humanity rebelled. The universe fell under the weight and the curse of sin. Uh, yet, listen, Satan's seduction of Adam and Eve did not catch God by surprise. God already had a plan in place by which he would redeem all, of, uh, he would redeem all those who would receive it. Uh, and, and, and also all of creation from, the, from sin and the effects of sin. God already knew what it was going to cost him to love you before he even created the universe. Just as he promises to make us new, and that's what we're celebrating here in baptism, identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, rising up to live a new life as we come out of the waters. That's part of the picture Paul talks about in Romans 6. Uh, just as he does that, he also promises to renew the earth itself. He, he says this in Isaiah. I got, I've, got, I've got several verses here, so I want you to stay with me. Isaiah, going back to the Old Testament, 65, verse 17. He said, for behold, I create... There it is way over in the Old Testament, y'all. This isn't just part of what John saw in the book of Revelation. It goes all the way back to things God showed Isaiah. I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come into mind. All that bad stuff is gone forever. Amen? <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Isaiah 66, verse 22. He says, For as the new heavens and that new earth that I shall make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. I'm not giving up on my plan. It's going to come to perfection and completion. And you're going to be with me. Uh, okay, John is not the only one who saw and wrote. Isaiah did. But in the New Testament, John's not the only one either. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. He said, but according to his promise. He's made us a promise, and can God ever break a promise? No, he cannot. According to his promise, we are waiting. For what? For new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness, that's perfection, dwells. We're waiting. It's the idea there of just patiently enduring and standing in there. Because we can do that. We can hang in there. We can be strong 
because his presence is in us, his word to guide us, but also his promise motivates us. It's worth it. It is so powerful. When God created, he called it very good. And he hasn't abandoned his creation. According to this, he's going to restore it. According to scripture, in the end, we won't all leave earth. We won't all leave earth forever and go away off into heaven. Instead, what he describes is God bringing heaven to earth and it to bringing it together in the same dimension with no wall of separation, no armed angel guards to guard heaven's perfection from sinful mankind. He's going to, well, I read it earlier. In, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 1, ah, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says, and this is the plan at the right time. He will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. God never relinquished his claim to the earth. Now, I know there are some what I call faith teachers out there try to teach this weird theology of how somehow Satan tricked God and stole the earth and God had to come out some way, trick him back and regain it. That is not the gospel. And those people who are teaching that are not teaching the truth of Scripture, okay? And they're all over TV. You may not catch it, but if you listen to them, that's what they say. That's not the truth. God never lost or relinquished his claim to the earth. Satan may be referred to as the God of this world, but that's just because most people of this world follow him. The Lord of heaven is still God over everything. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 24:1 says this, the earth is the Lord's, not the devil's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It all belongs to God. He never relinquished his claim over the earth. The earth and the works in it will be destroyed. We may talk a little more about future judgment in weeks ahead, I don't know, but it will be destroyed, but then he will restore it to perfection, just as we've read about. There will be a resurrection of our bodies, there will be a resurrection of this earth, and there will be a resurrection of the universe. There is coming a restoration. Did you know that uh, Peter even talked about that in Acts chapter 3 when he was teaching? He said in verse 20 that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's what he's talking about there. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus. Pause. Now, Jesus had already died on the cross just uh, shortly, uh, just, just weeks, months before this. And they knew Jesus was there and that he had died and he was resurrected. Some of them saw him. Some of them just don't know what happened, right? He's, te he's teaching to people who don't believe. But he said that Christ, the Messiah, appointed for you. Who is it? Jesus. He's already pointed out, you know, the guy you crucified. Then he says in verse 21, whom heaven must receive until what? Until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. I've just read some of it to you. So it all ties together, doesn't it? This same Jesus is coming back, and when it's going down, listen, you need to be ready for when it's going down. I'm telling you, we are living in these days, folks, and we need to, you know what we need to do? We need to get our act together. There's some stuff we're hung up on we need to get over. There's some stuff we're distracted by. We need to get our focus clear. We need to get our goals set, and we need to get ready because I'm going to tell you what's coming is going to be worth it, and you don't want to miss it. Amen? We don't want any of our loved ones to miss it. We don't want people. Why are we going to love people and ask God to give us strength to show his love to people who maybe not loving us back is because their soul is worth as much as mine and I want to share the gospel with them 
That grouchy neighbor who gives you all kinds of grief, it may be that just the way you react to him, God's going to use that to open a door for you to share this and God's truth, God's gospel, and, and save their soul. You know, it's just God works in amazing ways. Uh, he tells us in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, there it is again, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, can't wait for that, you who have followed me will also, he's talking about the, 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 the 12, he says, will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's talking about it, judgment there when all this starts going down. Um, God has tied his glory to the earth and everything connected with it. It reminds me of this. We, 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 we reflected it from Revelation. We reflected it from Scripture earlier when that scene was recounted that Isaiah saw. John saw. Isn't it amazing the same thing? Isaiah 6.3. And talking about the seraphim, the angels around the throne, is, as Isaiah saw it, it said, they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I'm going to tell you, listen to me now. I know you're getting tired. Listen, this is good. That day's coming. I want to see it. You are going to be there, if you know Christ, to see the whole earth, the whole earth full of his glory. Glory, and here's what's going to happen. The curse, oh, yeah, God didn't just lose control and Satan trip, trick him and Satan cursed the earth. No, the Bible says God cursed the earth. God's the one who cursed the earth after Adam and Eve sinned. And God already had a plan to reverse the curse. So in, in Genesis, you see paradise lost. But in Revelation, you see paradise regained. The new heavens and the new earth. Um, so the curse is going to be reversed. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3. Talking about that new heavens, new earth, new city, new Jerusalem. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb, that's Jesus, shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Keep reading, and you find out we see his face. Whew. I can't even go there. I can't imagine. God's power. Immediately after the fall, God promised a redeemer, didn't he? Right after Adam and Eve sinned, he said, the seed of the woman will crush the enemy's head. That's the first of many passages that anticipating a suffering servant who would battle Satan and redeem God's people. This servant would be the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah who would make all things new. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day thought all that was just going to happen right then and there at one time. We know that there were several stages to this plan. After sin came, it brought with it a curse, as we talked about. But God also announced his plan to defeat Satan and redeem fallen humanity and the earth. People's interest in the end time usually, usually focuses on that period immediately preceding and following the, the return of Christ. But God's plan culminates after the final judgment when we get that inheritance that we get because Jesus died to give it to us. And Jesus refers to that in Matthew 25, 34. It says in this parable, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, from before the world even was. What's this inheritance? Well, the children of kings inherit kingdoms. 
and kingdoms consist of land and property. So earth is humanity's God-given property. God hasn't changed his mind or fallen back to a plan B. He has not abandoned what he originally intended for us at the creation of the world. Satan wants us to give up on God. Satan wants us to give up on our purpose and our calling on our planet. But God reminds us that 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God's plan is to bring all things together in heaven and on earth under Christ. And you remember that song we used to sing, This is my Father's world, an old hymn? That's what that song was about. So here we have the curse reversed. Jesus forever links God and mankind, and therefore, thereby forever links heaven and earth. Jesus, after he was born, and died on the cross, was resurrected in a real physical body that looked a lot like he did. But it was different. We know it won't have pain, it won't age. Our resurrected body is going to be a lot like that. As far as everything we find in the Bible, Jesus keeps that resurrected body now throughout all eternity. That means God and humanity are forever linked. Forever. This is amazing. This is what God has done. This is my Father's world. You may be poor. You may be feeling defeated. You may feel like a failure. You just need to keep trusting the Redeemer. You might feel like, my place is a mess and I just can't get it in order. Stay in there. Keep taking step by step by faith. Motivated by the promises. He's going to set everything right one day, okay? I want, I want to be part of that. I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want there to be any fake stuff out here in this world draw me away from that, okay? So since I know I could die at any time, not just talking about when the end comes, I'm going to end this week like I did last week, I need to know now if heaven's my home. I need to know right now if, this, if, this, if, if, I, if I have this. And the Bible says, as we looked at last week, John told us that in John, 1 John 5, 13, he said, I wrote these things that you may know whether you have eternal life. You don't have to guess about it. You don't have to wonder about it. It just so happened. We were talking about this after church last week. And uh, I had someone say, you know what? I don't want to miss out on that. I've always believed, but I want to nail it down. Maybe you need to nail it down today. Maybe you've never made a profession of faith in Christ uh, and, and you want to nail it down today. Or maybe you've got doubts and questions you're struggling with. I say, keep struggling until you get over it. Find the answers. Don't give up and go hide. All right? Because he's coming back, ready or not. Believe it or not. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I thank you so much for... What was your decision? About two weeks ago, I believe it was two or three, my buddy Zach came to church and Haley just had this glow on her face. And she's like, I, I got saved. I got saved. And she goes, I want to get baptized. She was ready to get baptized that minute, which we didn't have this already and all that. And so uh, we have family here and we're so proud of you, Haley. And like I said, this means a lot because Zach, Zach is, like, is like family to me. He's like family. His, his parents are like a second set of parents for me. And 
You know, it's one thing to have your own kids also get baptized, but it's also, also awesome to see your, your best friends growing up, seeing their kids following that footstep of following and trusting the Lord. So um, I don't know, Zach, if you want to share a few things. Well, I had Seth talk for me because uh, this one's emotional for me. Um, it means a lot. God is good. So, so Haley, if you want to step up here, you kind of want to stand up here. And this is such an awesome privilege that we got Zach being able to baptize his daughter here. So, are you ready, Haley? Because of your profession and faith and what Jesus did on the cross for you and for all of us, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.